This is a Soulfire production. everybody welcome back to politically homeless we're here together doing the thing and i appreciate you taking some time to tune into the show we've got a good one today a really good one one that is kind of over the last couple days gotten pretty long so we'll see this might be the longest show we've laid down maybe we'll go a full two hours as i'm recording this at 6 29 p.m so we'll see how long this thing goes i don't know I really wish maybe that I had like some kind of setup, and maybe I'll do this at the new at the new crib, uh, in the new studio. Um, I wish I had more of a setup like Alex Jones, where I could just sit here and scream into the microphone for several hours at a time and do it live. Fuck it, we're doing it live. I need to get some like really really kick ass internet and different computer for that, but that would be. I feel like that, that's on my soul's journey. I really do feel like it is. And as I just alluded to, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show, we did confirm we are getting this house, this house, and it is in Colorado. Uh, we're staying in Colorado, and I've got this detached uh, studio office thing. It's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited about it. It's a beautiful home on three three acres and change. Um, really blessed. Really blessed. Very grateful. And before that, I wanted to let the cat out of the bag with this. Before that, we had considered moving to Austin, Texas. And for me, that would be moving back to Austin, Texas. So I um, ended up going to Texas State. I transferred in like 2007, eight, something like that, which is about 30 minutes south of Austin. And then I uh, moved to Austin right after that. I lived there for about 10 years. So like I was in the Austin area for like 12-ish years. I have a lot of love for Austin. And I thought about, you know, we thought about moving back. It'd be great, closer to family, all this other shit, you know, like the normal excuses. We've got a lot of friends down there. A lot of our clients with Soul Fire Production are down there. And I just, you know, I love the place, but I've also grown to love Colorado a lot. I love the mountains. I love the weather. The people are cool. Um, it's not as trendy, even though it is pretty trendy. But I love this area. And... I love the woods and I love public land and I love the way that I can go out in this like millions of acres of land that is owned by me and you and everybody. Um, that's something that we don't have in Texas and something that I resent about Texas because they did such a shit job maintaining the public lands they were given. They sold them off right away back to private aside, for, aside from Big Bend, which you can't hunt in. So what the fuck's the point? So anyways, we look at this whole like Austin thing and I, I didn't... Kelly wanted to do it. I felt pretty uneasy about it from the beginning. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, yeah, we started looking at houses and like, you know, the whole like starting a family thing could be good for the business. All these other, all these other things. And then it just started to dawn on me that I had really gotten Austin at its prime, right? And if any of you, I know I'll have a lot of listeners in Austin. I feel like I did it. And if I was to go back now and see what it has become, it would be, it would tarnish my memory of this beautiful place that I spent so many great years in and, and, and really grew up at, grew up there. I mean, it was the first place I was like six or seven years old. The first place I ever saw men kiss, two gay men kiss. And I was like, this place is wild. 
You can do anything and be anything here. I had that. That's the way I felt about Austin. And it was it was weird back then. It was crazy and kooky and odd and like kind of dangerous in some parts now that are all gentrified and everybody's home looks the same. It's a different thing. I mean, they got great barbecue. I won't. You know, don't get me wrong. I love to visit Austin. It's a great place. But then I hear these people that are from from L.A. Right, these people from LA who are talking about how great Austin is, right? And I'm like, motherfucker, you have no idea. You have no idea. Like you, ha- these people moved to Austin. Like it's the it's the next LA. I hope not. Tim Dillon did a whole rant about this, but I hear this all the time. It's the next creative hub. It was better when it wasn't that. It was better when it was washed up musicians playing at a dive bar. That's what it was supposed to be. Now it's become this whole thing. And I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around moving back to that place. And then you have the, yeah, these people from LA and other parts of California that have no context for like, what is good. You've been walking through human shit to go to your fucking, to buy an $8 latte for your entire life. That's what you know. You know, you've been, you've been, you've been dodging heroin needles on the street as a normal part of your life. So yeah, it's fine for you, but that's not how it was. There was a time. And if you've ever been to Austin and been to rainy street, Rainy Street used to be the fucking coolest place on the planet. There were three bars, okay? There was Luster Pearl, the original Luster Pearl, uh, Clive Bar, and Bar 96. It may have been Havelina, may have been open down the, down the way, but I'm not sure I didn't venture that far. And you could pay $5 or sometimes $10. There was a little bit of price inflation for this. 5 to $10 to park in a guy's backyard. If you got there early enough, you could park in someone's backyard next to the bar. This a small business owner. I think he may have also just like had this house that probably cost $30,000 when he bought it and had a backyard that fit like seven cars and we just parked back there. That was the kind of stuff it used to be like. Now it's just scooters and tech nerds. What is this? And we need to also accept the fact that I think homeless people just follow Joe Rogan. I think the reason that Joe Rogan has the biggest podcast on the planet is because every single homeless person listened to it and they just follow him wherever he goes. Because now... The homeless problem in, in Austin is catching up to as bad as what's going on in L.A. for a much smaller town. And there's only really one person to blame, and that's Joe Rogan. I think he brought him in, which is it is what it is. We've got to figure out something to do with it. Texas will probably have an adequate solution, um, but we'll see. And also living in Texas, <laughs> living in Austin, Texas in the summer being a homeless person, like that sounds terrifying. It's so hot. It is so hot out there. But anyways, thought about moving to Austin. We are not doing that. We pulled the trigger on a house um, west of Denver. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a great time. I'm excited about it. New studio coming up. I'm excited to design a new studio. It's going to have a full setup. It's going to be like a little man cave studio thing. The production level of the show is going to get higher and better. And I love that. I love that for me. And I love that for you. And one thing you can do to help... Build the coolest studio possible is join the motherfucking Patreon. If you're not in there right now, I don't know what is wrong with you. I don't know what what your holdup is. I have a lot of people being like, yeah, I plan on joining at some point. What the fuck are you waiting for? It's $6 a month. Like how much, what are we doing here? Get the fuck in the Patreon. You get a bonus episode every week that you are responsible for the content for. That's right. I outsource to you. It's basic capitalism. You pay me, and then you do the work. I'm just kidding. No, but I do crowdsource the questions for the bonus episode every week from the Patreon. So we have a Patreon-fueled show, and it also sends me down rabbit holes that I may have not gone on otherwise. You really get to basically 
hold me hostage and make me talk about the things that you want me to talk about, which is really a great way to run a business, I feel. So check that out. It is patreon.com slash politically homeless. And if you want to support the show while also being cheap, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. That's a great way to also help me help you. And that's what this is all about. This is a, this is a reciprocity business. All right, we've got a long show today. We've got a good show. Lots of great stuff to cover. Politicians have just been putting their foot in their mouths all day long, as well as mainstream media just oh, treating Fauci like a child. This is just, there's so much going on. I'm not even going to give you the list. You'll just have to wait for it as we go on, or you can just read the title of the episode, which you probably already did, that has all the topics in it, even though the titles of the episodes are very long, and it kind of drives me crazy, but I feel like it is the best way to do what we're doing here. I like to put just a little quippy name in there and get creative, but that doesn't really work that well. It does not work that well at all for me. I don't know. I don't even know. It's time to get to the show. Let's fucking do this. Let me hit the right button here. All right. I'm going to fade you in with this funky beat. It's time for the state of things, baby. Let's do it. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Rich people don't pay any fucking taxes. And uh, ProPublica got some confidential documents letting us know exactly what that looks like. Now, this there's a little bit, this is a little bit misunderstood. And of course, um, to really break this down and understand it more, I listened to Mark Cuban and Chamath Palihapitiya and Chris Sachs and the guys at the All In podcast. Try and Help me understand this because they are billionaires. And I do want to hear what billionaires have to say about billionaires. I don't, I mean, I care about that as much as I care about how much what Bernie Sanders has to say about billionaires. It's all important and it's it's all valuable, I feel. So ProPublica got this information. It was leaked in raw form. So all this tax data was leaked in raw form to ProPublica. They put it all together. They made a lot of charts and a very long article. This is a really good article. I, I recommend everybody read the whole thing. It's it's really solid. It goes into the history of income tax and when things and how things have happened. Of course, they've got an agenda. This is a left-leaning outlet. Don't expect anything otherwise. That's what we deal with with the news now, okay? You know, this is, you know, Media Matters is left-leaning. Fox News is right-leaning. Like, there's just, we have to, Project Veritas is right-leaning. Like, these other outlets, we, we just know that, okay? And just, let's not pretend that there's ever going to be, like, a really unbiased source of news. The best you can get is something like All Sides, right, where it labels it as right or left-leaning, so that way you can read one right, one left, maybe one moderate if you can find one somewhere, and use that to kind of put together the best situation for yourself. But we don't need to live in some kind of like utopian wonderland like socialists and libertarians do where we think something's going to be so much better because market forces have proven that is not going to be the case at all ever again. It's gone forever. Anyways, that's my rant on this. So let's get into this article here. The secret IRS files um, trove of never before seen records reveal how the wealthiest avoid income tax. Now, we're going to get into some data here. In 2007, Jeff Bezos, then a multimillionaire and now the world's richest man, which I do not believe, by the way. I do not think that Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man because this, this, his wealth is not liquid. There are people in the world whose bank is essentially the treasury department of a country. Those people are uber-wealthy trillionaire-type cats, all right? It doesn't show up that way, and it doesn't go on Forbes, but those people exist. So this whole richest man in the world thing is really silly. Anyways, 
He did not pay a penny in federal income taxes. He achieved this feat again in 2011. In 2018, Tesla founder Elon Musk, the second richest person in the world, again, not true, also paid no federal income taxes. Michael Bloomberg managed to do the same in recent years. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn did something, did it twice. George Soros paid no federal income taxes three years in a row. ProPublica has obtained a vast trove of internal revenue service data on a t- on the tax returns of thousands of the nation's wealthiest people covering more than 15 years. The data provides an unprecedented look inside the financial lives of American titans, including Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Rupert Murdoch, and Mark Zuckerberg. It shows not just their income, t- income and taxes, but also their investments, stock trades, gambling winnings, and even the results of audits. I would love to see their gambling winnings. That sh- they should do a whole different article on just that alone. Taken together, it demolishes the cornerstone myth of the American tax system that everyone pays their fair share and the richest Americans pay the most. The Irish, I mean, that's true. They pay the most in total, but not as a percentage of their Wealth, obviously. The IRS records show that the wealthiest can perfectly legally pay income taxes that are only a tiny fraction of the of the hundreds of millions, if not billions, their fortunes grow each year. Many Americans live paycheck to paycheck, amassing little wealth and paying the federal government a percentage of their income that rises um, if they earn more. In recent years, the median household income earned, earned about 70000 annually and paid 14, 14% of federal taxes. The highest income tax rate, 37%, kicked in this year for couples earning more than $628,300. Now let's go down and look at some charts here. Okay. Keep reading, but I think this is actually more valuable. So Warren Buffett, his wealth grew, um, and this is in this is from 2014 to 2018. His wealth grew $24.3 billion. His reported income, $125 million. Total taxes, taxes paid, $23.7 million. That's a .1 percent true tax rate. Jeff Bezos wealth grew 99 billion. Um, and that's in 2020 that that went way up. Um, total reported income 4.22 billion total taxes paid 973 million. That's 0.98 of a percent is the true what they're calling the true tax rate. And we'll talk about how that may not make a ton of sense going forward, but we'll get there. Michael Bloomberg, wealth grew $22.5 billion, reported income $10 billion, total taxes paid $922 million um, for 1.3% true tax rate. And Elon Musk, wealth grew $13 billion, um, reported income $1.52 billion, and total taxes paid $455 million. That's a 3.27% true tax rate by ProPublica standards. Okay. So we have to consider a few things here, all right? And I'm not going to say, I'm not defending the tax code by any means. You know, Warren Buffett's been an advocate for <laughs> having a better tax code. He's not, it's not like a, a wealthiest need to pay more, like voluntarily pay more taxes. No one's going to voluntarily pay more taxes to the government. It's not going to happen, okay? So this is a tax code issue. Now, when we look even further into this, say, okay, well, why is the tax code the way it is? It's because... People pay and lobbyists lobby for the tax code to be what it is. That's why it's so convoluted and complicated and nonsensical. Okay. And there is this kind of movement where as your, as your income grows, as your wealth grows, um, your tax rate kind of grows, but you're the, you know, you're paying more in absolute taxes because you're making more money. But when we think about how money is used by the wealthy, right? By the uber wealthy, not just the wealthy, but the uber wealthy. Because people that have, you know, make a million dollars a year of, of, of income, true income, liquid income, 
right? They're going to be paying a substantial amount of taxes on that most of the time, right? There's going to be ways to get around it with losses and other investments and things like that. But if it's actual true income, they're going to be paying the income tax rate for that minus deductions and whatever else. And there's ways to work that. But when you do have a lot of money and a lot of things moving around, that kind of makes sense to an extent. But what's happening here is that these, these uber wealthy CEOs, right? The Jeff Bezos's of the world, those types of, those types of people in the American ecosystem are not actually living off of an income. They'll take, I think Jeff Bezos takes $80,000 a year as a salary. Um, people like Mark Zuckerberg take $1 a year um, as a salary, things like that. And what they do is live off of credit. Okay, so instead of actually taking an income, they have so much um, property, so many assets that they can take out credit lines which don't appear as income because they have to be paid back against their assets. And then they can deduct the interest off of those loans that they're living off of as a part, as a, as a tax deduction, right? So that's the system. That's how this works. That's how a, a billionaire CEO can take a $80,000 salary or a $1 salary or something like that and avoid paying taxes because if you don't sell those stocks, right? The reason that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, the, why, their, why their wealth their wealth has grown so much is because it's tied up in equity of their company. If they don't sell that and they don't realize those gains, they don't have to pay taxes on them, right? So you can just stay in a situation where you can leverage your assets to take loans and then pay that money back over time. And that's how these people are doing this. Numerous mortgages, things like that. And it's really interesting to see how this all plays out. But at the same time, we can't expect to tax somebody's wealth increase, right? Because here, and here's the why. I don't, I don't feel any sympathy for Jeff Bezos in this. This is what I'm talking about. But say your parents or somebody like that when you could actually afford a home, right? Bought a house in Austin or California or somewhere where real estate markets have gone crazy. Portland, you know, these places where uh, Boulder, Colorado is another one where the real estate market is insane. Right, so say they bought a house for three hundred thousand dollars thirty years ago. That house is now worth three million dollars. So then you would be, by the same logic, you'd be wanting them to pay the taxes for their wealth increase, right? Which would be the increase in the the value of their owned asset, their home, which would lead to something we're going to talk about later in the show. These houses, people not being able to afford their homes or live in their homes and having to downsize even if they don't necessarily need to when they really have an asset that can be passed down to their family, which is a great way to transfer wealth um, within your family. And one of the reasons that we do have one of these widening wealth gaps in a lot of different areas because of property is a great way to hold and transfer wealth. Anyways, so that doesn't, re you couldn't really make sense of all of that. We often have to, have to consider that the reason their, their, their wealth, their quote unquote wealth has grown so much is because interest rates in response to the COVID pandemic have dropped to zero or near zero, right? So of course those stock prices are going to go high. If interest rates rise to six or seven or 8%, their wealth is now going to be cut tremendously. So they would be taking a humongous loss based on that and their unrealized wealth. So it's a really convoluted system and a really complicated system. But at the end of the day, it's because there are so many loopholes and it is very much the tax code. And later in the show, we're going to talk about Ben Shapiro and, and BlackRock and then buying up homes. I'm sure you've heard a little bit about this. If you haven't, you're going to be astonished at what's going on. But this is a really interesting situation, really complex. And there needs to be, as we look at this, right, we talk about reforming the tax code. One of the things that's the most egregious that came out in this article that I really have been learning more about in the, the past couple of days 
is the fact that lower income people are actually audited more. So you, they audit people who maybe didn't, you know, didn't uh, put their tip income on on their on their tax return, right? They didn't they didn't file they didn't claim their tip income, their cash tips, right? Things like that. And that's what people are going after in auditing. That's what the IRS is going after. Their enforcement is absolute fucking trash, and the return on enforcement is seven to one. Right, so there's a 700% return on just enforcement. Now, if you turn to that enforcement, turn those teams of people who are responsible for enforcing the tax code onto the wealthy and not the lower income people, who really, at the end of the day, who fucking cares they cheat on their taxes a little bit, right? But when you're talking about what would have come up to hundreds of billions of dollars in government revenue by enforcement, well, now we have something that can actually make sense and actually do something for the country and create some new tax revenue. Now, all that being said, if you were to tax the rich crazy amounts, right, that was actually happened. If AOC got what she wanted, which I think in theory, if in on paper sounds great, it sounds absolutely great. I'm like, yeah, people need to pay their fair share. We need to figure something else out. We need to go maybe apply a consumption tax or things like that. There's ways we can look at that, right? Or a flat tax. People, libertarians love the flat tax thing. If they think taxes should be a thing at all. We also have to keep in mind with all of that, right? If we were to apply that, then we're just increasing revenue into a system that is wildly inefficient, wildly inefficient, right? One of the things I do agree with is that if you actually, and there's people scam this all the time and like they'll buy a piece of art and then get someone to appraise it for like 10 times what they bought it for and then donate that to a charity and they are nonprofit and then take that entire tax write off of the appraised value of this thing. Like that's fucking, that's illegal and that's a scam. Right. But one thing I don't think is a problem is, is that the, these donating to charities, right? Giving money to charities um, that are legit, that actually do real work and that being a tax deduction. I think if you, if you want to give everything you should give to the government to charity, then you shouldn't pay taxes at the end of the fucking day. Now that would be kept, it would be taken advantage of and leveraged and corrupt as fuck. But what's different between that and the way the federal government spends money? Cause you can, you can tax these people all you want, but by the time that money trickles back down to the people that actually fucking need it, it's almost gone because it's been pulled, pulled to pieces by bureaucracy and bullshit and greedy fucks in the government, corrupt ass motherfuckers in the government. Right? So you, if, if the government wants more tax revenue, that's really what they think they fucking need to make things better. Then prove you can do something with what the fuck you got. Right, because we we were told this all in government. Right, growing up, we were taking government classes or whatever you took. It's like the you know the the government runs like a household, right? Money in, money out, yada yada yada. That whole fucking song and dance, which is absolute bullshit, by the way. But we got told that, right? It's like, well, show me what you can do with what we've got, because right now, what you have is everything that's government funded and highly regulated is shit. Is shit. Education, shit. Housing, shit. Medicare, shit. Like it, it, you, you've been in the reason, and they're not saying that this is an inherently a government thing. It's the private partnerships with government that always end up getting fucked up, always getting fucked up. Right? Like the regulations that we do have. And I have friends that are like blanket, like less regulation is good. Like the regulations are fucking important. Okay. But they're so misplaced and so manipulated by the lobbyists and the, and the, and the corporate interests that we don't even get any progress. We just get the facade of progress and the government gets higher tax revenues. And then you have people like Gavin Newsom, who's, who's very willing to take a pay raise, by the way, <laughs> like a fucking clown that he is. But anyways, I just don't have, I mean, more and more as I've done this more and more, 
I have less and less faith in the government to spend money appropriately, right? If you really need that money, if you really need that money, and not that these people, these people should absolutely, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, all those cats, should be paying their fair share in taxes, which they very much are not, and they're getting around it through loopholes. But I think a bigger problem is the fact that the government seems inept at spending money properly. And that's one of the things that when you listen to someone like Chamath Polyhapatia says this on, I listen to the All In podcast every episode for the past couple months. I really enjoy listening to people that are on that side of the spectrum because you don't hear that very often, right? When you, when it, when you look at this, it's like, dude, these people are down to pay higher taxes, right? But the reason people don't, and I want you to really take this in, the reason people avoid taxes, the reason I will avoid taxes at any chance that I can in any legal means, by any legal means that I have, I have no shame in saying that. I'm not going to pay more than I need to. I'm going to pay a higher percentage of my income than these assholes. That's for sure. And that's fucked up. But the reason I'm like that is because I have so little faith in the federal government to get anything done. Democrats, Republicans, whatever, doesn't matter. I have so little faith in them to get anything done that why would I pay you? It's like trying, it's like hiring somebody and, and, and with no faith that they're going to actually do the job. That's where it gets weird. Right, you're you're using my money to do the dumbest shit. You're giving a billion dollars a year to the fucking Pentagon, right? We're funding wars all over the all over the place and regime change. That's all our money, and we can't even get an adequate healthcare system. Show me that you can do some healthcare reform before you try and take more money for healthcare reform, because you can fucking do it with what you got right now. I swear to God, you can. I know you can, but you don't. But you don't. And now we're gonna cry about this. And I think part of this is a tactic to distract people from the fact that the government sucks at managing money and being efficient. So my call to the federal government, anybody out there is listening, which I doubt you are, but if you are, is maybe tighten it up a little bit. Maybe t- maybe you take some sacrifices in the, in the vanity product projects that you want and then start talking about taxing people more. And also... Maybe do a little campaign finance reform so that these motherfuckers can't influence the tax code. Does that seem that far out of reach to anybody? Does that seem like that that, that big of, of an ask to not let the people who would be paying the most taxes influence the tax code? This might be the most centrist down the middle thing I've ever done. Because here I am defending lower taxes and also saying tax the rich, but holding the accountability of the federal government. That's really who I'm looking at here. Is like, ah, we don't have any faith in you. That's why. If you're wondering why people don't want to pay taxes, it's because we have that little faith in the government. Audit the people with the real money. Not the wage earners. Get it together. Cut that military spending. Cut it. Do it. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But it also hurts to pay taxes Kamala, 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 what are you doing to yourself here, girl? What are you doing to yourself here? This is out of control. <laughs> Kamala Harris has um, managed to piss everyone off, right? Everybody on the right, on the left. The White House was con- concerned and confused about what the fuck she was doing when she was down in Guatemala. Um, trying to do her best to to, to slow the um, migrant crisis, to to. to, to Handle it as best she can. She won't actually go to the border, which we'll get into. But um, she will go down to uh, Central America and 
say this. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Do not come. Do not come. If I had a nickel for every time that I heard that between the age of 18 and 23... I'd be a rich man. Okay, so <laughs> she goes on later on to talk about uh, or to, to an interview with Lester Holt, which is kind of full of softballs, but then she gets into this, which has gone mega viral. Button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, I'm here in Guatemala today. I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. Really? So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned it because even, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this, but Democratic Congressman Cuellar as a border district has said to the, you and the president, come, you need, I to, care you need to see about, this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. Uh, but you still need to go to the border, Kamala. Like, what is the, and here's the thing. What is this? First off, this woman is one of the worst politicians. She didn't even make it to Iowa in the primary race. Okay. Like, I don't understand What's going on? I don't understand why she was chosen as VP. I, there were so many better options. Literally anyone. Anyone. And if you want to talk about you wanted a, a woman of color, there's lots of those too floating around everywhere that are better than this lady. And the fact that she's like the natural successor to, to Joe Biden, I cannot wait to watch this woman try and run for president in 2024. I cannot wait for the next Democratic presidential primary. It's going to be a fucking clown show watching this person after the next, what, three years that we have of her doing this to try and run for president. And the supporters of her are going to be some of the most obnoxious people on the planet. You think Bernie bros were bad. You think I was bad. Just, just wait, just wait till the, to the, whatever that she calls it, the K hive, the K hive thing. Yeah. Those people are some of the most toxic people on the internet. And that I'm even counting QAnon in there too. They're close. They're close. So with this now, we're talking about the root cause of the migrant crisis. You know, there's something that we've been talking about for a while now that would do a lot to ease tensions in these Central American countries um, that America really fuels, right? And of course, what we're talking about is the war on drugs. The war on drugs has destabilized an entire region. An entire region. Not to mention the fact that 80% of the guns that the cartel gets comes to the United States. That's a fact. Look it up. Okay? So, we're fueling violence in these where these people live. We are fueling violence where these people live. And that needs to be accounted for when we talk about the migrant crisis. And the funny thing is, the people that are so concerned about the border 
or else the ones that are drug warriors, right? It's the conservatives. And we're talking a little bit later about Charlie Kirk's view on marijuana, which is comical to say the least. But it's these these conservative-minded people, maybe they're Democrats, but they're conservative Democrats, who think that this war on drugs has in some way been a success that should be continued, maybe reformed in a minor way. But I think that would do that would do a lot to 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 help stabilize that region, because when cartels are running shit in Mexico and Central America, and if you ever watch the show Trafficked on Nat Geo, it's a great it shows you how cocaine gets from Peru or Colombia to the United States, and cocaine's a hell of a drug. But the idea that we we have this drug war and we've also done a few regime changes in classic American style down there have destabilized things to the, to the point where people need to seek refuge and are willing to, to, to get themselves, whether it's on a bus or walking or whatever they do. I know the caravans are mostly via bus. And there was a lot of coordination there. I put out my little conspiracy theory about Trump being behind it, and I think that might still be that might still hold up, but... I was attacked viciously for that, <laughs> which was really fun. But anyways, you got this situation, right? So the war on drugs would do a lot to help this situation out tremendously. Now, what just dropped right before I started recording the show is now Trump is going to the border, Kamala. Trump is seizing this opportunity to do what you will not do. And you know you're scared of the photo op down there. You're scared of the photos of you being at the border and the, and the, and the migrant surge and all these other things. This crisis but now Trump is going to seize the opportunity. And if our faith is in you, right? Is anybody who doesn't really want Trump to be president again, as our faith is if our faith is in you to accomplish that goal, I know you're going to fail. Right? I know you're going to fail. It's like one of those conversations you would have if you have a kid that wants to be in the NBA but he's going to be like 5 foot 6 and you're like, "Hey, you know, it's just it's just not for you." That's how I feel about Kamala Harris and politics. Like, you just need to have that conversation. Like, this isn't for you. You have no principles, right? At least you can say Trump has principles. They're stupid, but they're principles. You don't have those. Not at all. And when you when you won't even take an ounce of accountability or responsibility, and I know it's it's hard, it's tough to go to the border and deal with all the bullshit you're going to have to deal with. But that's what happens when you're the fucking vice president of the United States of America. You have to deal with the bullshit. That's the job you signed up for. So get your shit together. Do something in the war on drugs. And quit acting like a fucking asshole. Like this is absolutely... You haven't been to Europe? What are you talking about? This woman is a joke. It's a joke. If you wonder why people are, are heading to politically homeless from the Democratic Party, there you go. Right there. Look her right in the face. That's it. That's the reason. People like her. And maybe just her personally. One of the reasons I was like, man, oh, fuck you losers. I'm out of here. So here we are. Vice President Kamala Harris, everybody. Well, this is a fun one I wanted to cover here. Seething Donald Trump fumed. How am I losing to a mental retard when shown Biden polls? <laughs> this is fantastic. A seething Donald Trump described his then rival Joe Biden as a mental retard while battling early losses in the polls. Insider claimed um, the furious comment was said when was said 
was said to have been made early last year during the political meeting when former U.S. president vented his fury. Trump went on to lose the U.S. election to Democrat Joe Biden, who took office in his place. The sensational claim claims have been made in a forthcoming book by White House reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Michael Bender. The work entitled, frankly, we did win the election. The inside story of how Trump lost. <laughs> According to Vanity Fair, a passage from the book claims that the furious outburst took, took place, outburst took place in early 2020 when Trump was struggling to cope with his own uh, placement in the early polls. The book claims that Trump lost his temper and interpreted a policy meeting in the, inter- interrupted a policy meeting in the Oval Office saying, how am I losing in the polls to a mental retard? <laughs> I just can't <laughs> like you, can, you know this is true. You know this happened. Anybody out there listening or watching knows this really happened. And what I would pay, what I would pay to have been there to see this Oh, my goodness. It was also reported that Trump had become convinced that Democrats were planning to switch Joe Biden for another candidate, such as Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama, during the summer. And during a meeting a month after a COVID outbreak in U.S., um, Trump was said to have claimed that Democrat leadership would realize Biden is old and they're going to give it to somebody else. They're going to give it to Hillary or they're going to give it to Michelle Obama. The offer claims that Trump um, held on to the idea so strongly that he used it as a reason to hold off heavy spending against Biden early in, earlier in the month. Wow. So he thought they were going to switch out um, Biden with Hillary Clinton, which was never going to happen. That would be a terrible idea. Or... Michelle Obama, which actually would have been maybe a good idea, probably would have worked, um, but that didn't happen, so he held off spending. If there's any doubt that this guy really lost the election, if you're still holding on to doubt, guys, you got to let it go, okay? Like these are withholding spending against your candidate because you think they're going to be switched out for someone else is an idiotic move, is an idiotic move, especially since you could make the same complaints against Hillary Clinton that you would against Joe Biden. And Michelle Obama. So really, really, he lost the election. <laughs> but this is fun and funny and ridiculous. And it's such a Trumpian thing to do and say. And, and, and I just had to. I had to. I had to bring it up on here. Uh, Kyle Klinsky covered this. I, <laughs> I couldn't I not. It makes me laugh reading it every time. I've read this article several times. Um, but it's just, <laughs> even the headline, Seething Donald Trump Fumes. How am I losing to a mental retard? And I know you're not supposed to say retard. I know, but I have a stance on this. Here's the thing. And I know people, somebody came at me saying it the other day. I'm trying to like um, reclaim that word. And here's why. This is a different, different conversation. There was a time when that was the actual term used for people with cognitive disabilities. Okay. There was a time when that was a thing. And then it got used as a slang term for people with cognitive disabilities, right? At one point, for a while. If anyone ever called someone with any kind of cognitive disability a retard in my presence, I would slap them in their fucking face. Man, woman, don't care. Child. That's not an okay thing to do. But what the word retard has come to mean in our nomenclature is someone that is supposedly of a fully functioning mind who does something really dumb. And the reason that is, and what I've noticed, is that if someone has any kind of cognitive disability, whether it be autism or Down syndrome, you would call that what it is. You would say someone has Down syndrome or someone is autistic. Because that's what a responsible adult would do when handling that kind of situation. And no one in their right mind would use the word 
retard to classify someone who has a disability. That would make you a piece of shit. So, I don't hold back saying it. That's my own thing. If you want to get mad about it, that's okay. I understand. It's hard for some people to hear. But at the same time, I have principles as well. Anyways, that's Trump. He got mad. It's funny. It's cute. It's Trumpian. And I had to share it with you. Let's move on. Well, Fauci has been in the news quite a bit as of late. And MSNBC has taken it as as an opportunity to coddle him like a small child. And so we're going to actually play. We're going to do this. We're going to play because you're seeing clips of this everywhere. We're going to play the whole six-minute interview with Chuck Todd and Anthony Fauci talking about the attacks on him and watch him play the victim and squirm a little bit. It's really entertaining. I, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to say about this. Like, this is this is not journalism. I don't know what this is, but it sure as fuck isn't an interview from a journalist because there's actually some kind of, like, scrutiny there. Um, but what you're going to hear in this interview is is the sound of Chuck Todd just gobbling up Fauci's cock. So that's where we're at with this. Uh, let's, let's hear what he has to say. I want to get to the political attacks. You're, you have become... Uh, uh, you've been sort of become a caricature on the right. Um, and there's the left. some really wild, fantastical conspiracies. I, I got to play one because it's a, a sitting United States senator, uh, Marsha Blackburn. Uh, I think we have a, a sound of this. Let's let's play that one. Here are some facts that I want you to know. First of all, yes, Dr. Fauci was emailing with Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, trying to create that narrative, cherry picking information so that you would only know what they wanted to know, you to know, and there would be a narrative that would fit with this cherry picked information. Okay, so let's talk about Marsha Blackburn really quick. This woman is clearly a psychopath, okay? I'm not defending her or siding with her. Look at her face. If, you, if, you're, if you're just listening, Google her, okay? She's got way too much Botox. She looks like an evangelical preacher's wife. Not a fan of this woman. And to end up on her side of an issue is not fun for me. But here we are. I don't even know where to begin, but it's a sitting United States senator. It's the most, what I would call the most extreme version of, of, of what I've heard. You've got Kevin McCarthy Hi. doing his own version of this, Marco Rubio. You, you're aware of the critiques. Um, hi, you've been debunking this. How to debunk something like that? She's got it in her own head. <laughs> okay, okay. What are you going to debunk? The fact that Facebook censored certain information that came out later to be viable? Is that, a th- that that's debunked? That's what debunked now. I tweeted that the other day. Like debunked doesn't mean anything anymore. Doesn't mean shit. Like there were things that were censored. This is a fact that turned out to be true or viable um, possibilities that were censored. People were deplatformed for those things. That is not debunked. That is a fucking fact. Let's move on, Chuck Todd. Again, a United States senator that represents the state of Tennessee. What do you say to that? You know, Chuck, I don't, I have, I don't have a clue of what she just said. Jesus I don't have a clue Christ. of what she's talking Neither about. Neither did we. I mean, oh, so, yeah, I mean, welcome to me. the club. I have no idea what she's talking about. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't want to be pejorative against a uh, United States senator, but, but I have no idea what she's talking about. And, you know, Chuck, if you go through each and every one of the points, which are so ridiculous as, 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 you know, 
just painfully ridiculous. But nonetheless, if you go through each and every one of them, you can explain and and debunk it immediately. I mean, every single one. He should be fired because he, in the beginning, changed his mind about masks. Well, okay, so let's go back early on with the masks, and let's take a look at that. At the time that we were saying we shouldn't be wearing a mask, there were three factors that were going on. A, there was thought to be a shortage of masks. B, there was no evidence that masks worked outside of the context of a hospital. I wear a mask when I'm seeing patients with respiratory disease that could be transmissible like tuberculosis, a well-fitted N95. Thirdly, we were not aware of the extent of asymptomatic spread. Well, the asymptomatic spread is a weird thing because the way they were measuring it in your blood was a little bit too sensitive. So that was, there's a lot of like weird science going on there that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, maybe let's just for now, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and just keep moving. So we said you don't really need to wear a mask. It wasn't only me. I'm picked out as the villain. It was the Surgeon General of the United States and the entire right. CDC was saying the same thing. So as we went from January, February, March, April, it became clear that those three things, A, there was no shortage and you could wear a cloth mask. B, the data showed that, in fact, outside of the hospital setting, masks do work. And third, to our painful awareness, we became clear that 50% or more of the transmissions were with people who had no symptoms. So that's when we said, we've got to get people to wear masks. That's what's called, Chuck, the scientific process. You make a recommendation, an opinion, and a guideline based on what you know at a given time. As a scientist, as a health official, when those data change, when you get more information, it's essential that you change your position because you've got to be guided by the science and the current data. That- okay, so I want to I pause there and get into this. He talks about the scientific process and changing your mind with new data. Yes, yes, yes. But what people are frustrated about is that that scientific process seemed to only work in one direction. It seemed to only work in one direction when Texas and Florida were showing everybody else how stupid they are for dealing with this bullshit in the way that they were. Was there an apology? Was there was there a shift in the way things were handled? No. Did California learn anything from that? No. It was it was a blue state red state thing. It became political. So the scientific process was now politicized. It was not the scientific once it becomes political it's no longer the scientific process, okay? It's an agenda. It very much is. There's there's no doubting that. I don't anybody right left center would agree with that. Like I think everybody's everybody, no matter where you're at in the spectrum, is really frustrated with the kind of information and the quality of information that we got. And then the the complete ineptitude to change things based on new information. When Texas removed their mask mandates and cases continued to fall, and they had a whole month with no COVID deaths, I believe, or maybe two, something like that. Well, then you end up in a situation where it's like, well, that seems to be the thing to do, but very little change. I mean, Anthony Cuomo or Andrew Cuomo just announced today that that New York's going to get back to normal, kind of. And it's like, where were you at? What have you been doing this whole time? Besides killing old people in nursing homes and not paying for that price, not paying a price for that at all. So, oh, let's keep going. We get it gets worse. I promise. 
at issue with masks is people want to fire me or put me in jail for what I've done, namely follow the science. I, I could go the next half an hour going through each and every point that they make. It's, it's preposterous, Chuck, totally preposterous. Well, and I, look, I want to end. I want to end with this. This is an email you sent on February 27th. You happen to send it to Morgan Fairchild. And I just want to end with it because it only underscores the fact that you actually you've been extraordinarily consistent. I'll just read the, this, the last part here. The American public should be prepared to mitigate an outbreak in this country by measures that include social distancing, teleworking, temporary closures of schools, et cetera. You wrote this on February 27th. This is, I, I believe uh, uh, we were still a month away from, from 15 days to, cl- to slow the spread, all of those things. So uh, there was a ton of consistency um, throughout the- okay, that's so gracious. The word temporary here, the word temporary, I don't think anybody thought 14 months would be temporary closure of schools. That's not what That's not what temporary means. He said it was a month out from 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah, people were expecting, okay, a couple of weeks, a month maybe. Not a year and a half almost. Okay, so that's, just look at what how Chuck Todd is manipulating the words in that, in that email alone. Come on, dude. These emails, so we've struggled to understand why there's controversy around it. But I want to end with this question. I'm sure, you have. You are now getting attacked. As you know, many state public health officials have quit their jobs over the last year because of the unrelenting attacks that have taken place. And now you're at the focal point. What is your level of concern that we're going to discredit public health officials to the point of, you know, look at Russia? So the concern is that we're going to discredit public health officials to the point where they're no longer useful. Not that they've discredited themselves by sucking a bag of dicks through this entire process. Huh? Weird. They actually have a good vaccine and none of their citizens will take it because they don't trust their own government. Right. Russia. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. And we're going to stop right there. Attacks on you, motherfucker, are not attacks on science. You are not the embodiment of science. You are a scientist, perhaps, a doctor, yes. Okay, those are real things. But attacking you is not an attack on science because by that same logic, attacking somebody who had a different opinion than you, which your lackeys did in in in, in full force, right, that would also be an attack on science. You, are not the, you do not own science. You were not the science embodied. That's not what this is. So by that logic, anytime that we, we, we question the credibility of any doctor or scientist, we're now questioning science. Is that the way the scientific process that you were just speaking about works? That is so arrogant and so narcissistic, it's hard to stomach. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science and anybody that looks. That is that is gaslighting. That word gets thrown around a lot, but that is gaslighting. What he's saying is if you attack me, you're a crazy person which is the same thing that somebody who's gaslighting someone in a toxic relationship would say. Really? Looks at what's going on, clearly sees that. 
You have to be asleep not to see that. That is what's going on. Science and the truth are being attacked. That's insane. That is insane. But that, that's the interview. I wanted to play the whole thing, kind of break it down step by step like that. I felt like that was the best way to deliver it. But this is, and MSNBC is letting us know in their, in their um, um, in screen here, this is who we are. It absolutely is, MSNBC. It absolutely is. This is why your ratings are absolute dog shit. Because this is who you are. The kinds of people who throw softball interviews to public officials, who are hyper-partisan, you're the Fox News of the left. And the Fox News is trash too. And what, what, what you guys did with Trump is the same thing that Fox News did with Obama. And I totally get it. And I've made that point over and over again. This is not new. Liberal media is just more powerful than conservative media for a handful of reasons. And you should maybe take a page out of a real journalist book and question public officials, hold them to account, and not just coddle them. This is absolutely fucking insane to allow this to take place. I would never allow something like that, even from a, a low-level person. Like I, would never let, I would never let that take place on my show. Never. Absolutely, absolutely not. It's hard to watch, but it's where we're living in now, so soak it in, I guess. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creator of Element. Creators, creators of Element. Now, these guys have put together a really spectacular supplement. All you do is dump this thing in some water. It comes in a packet, a nice little packet for you. It's very convenient, and it's so tasty and so hydrating. What they did, they mixed a little salt with some magnesium, the things that you need that you're probably not getting enough of, right? And we, we, don't, we don't have, there's no mystery around the fact that the like, American like, nutrition system is a fucking pile of garbage, right? We know that. So we have to take responsibility for our own health and our own hydration, hydration and sleep, two of the most important things that you can focus on. Now, Element was put together by Rob Wolf, somebody that is so well-respected and so well-trusted in the health community that it's hard. One of the things he does, it's hard to really like challenge the dude because he's so willing to change his mind with an actual scientific process when there's new information. I mean, we've seen, I saw this from following him back in the day in the early paleo days to like carbs are the devil to being like, yeah, you probably need some carbs, you know, do the thing. And like, it's just been really fun to watch him evolve as, as a leader in the field. And this product really does. He does, he puts a lot of great things together. And the fact that it tastes so goddamn good and doesn't have sugar in it is one of the craziest things. It doesn't, doesn't even make any sense to me. Now they just came out with this watermelon flavor for the summer. It is next level. So here's what you need to do. You need to go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. With that link, you're going to be able to get a variety pack for five bucks. That's just covering the shipping. Don't stop there. Grab yourself the watermelon. It is next level. And if you really want to go for it, get the watermelon and the lemon habanero. Lemon habanero margaritas are one of my favorite things in the summer. I like to stay hydrated, but I also like to catch a little buzz every now and then. Because this job is stressful, okay? <laughs> I know yours probably is too. We're wading through the bullshit and the toxic darkness of American politics is, 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 is quite an adventure. And sometimes I need a little tequila to take the edge off. And I use that lemon habanero with a little bit of bubbly water. Dude, we're on one. We're doing the right thing. And I'm stoked on that. So anyways, drinkelement.com slash wanders. Get yourself the variety pack. Just cover shipping and some of their favorite flavors as well as the unflavored version, which is also very good if you're not into something like real sweet or bitter. 
Because that's what we get. It's, it's weird. It's so weird. It doesn't have sugar, dude. I'm, it's just. It makes no sense to me. This is. It's. It's out of control. It is out of fucking control. So check it out. Drinkelement.com/wonders. Get your variety pack. Pick up some watermelon and pick up that lemon habanero. You'll thank me when you do. As many people have in the DMs. And if you get it, if you get it in. Tag me in your story. Post a story with it. Try it out. Let me know what you think. Tag me in the story. I'll share it. Um, a great way to share. Just let people know that this stuff is actually like really legit because there's a lot of podcasts out there that read ads for bullshit. I don't. Okay, I don't. I turn down ads for bullshit. You know, right now I'm working on Black Rifle Coffee because I love coffee and I love guns. But we're not there yet. We're working on it. But right now we got Element. Element is the tits. Check it out, drinkelement.com slash wonders. Get your variety pack. Now let's get back to the show. Marjorie Taylor Greene is back in the news, and she's doing everything that she can to make anybody who has any questions about lab leaks or Fauci, she's making all of us look like assholes by being completely incompetent and incredibly ridiculous. So let's check out what she has to say on Steve Bannon's show. Dr. Anthony Fauci is needs to get a lawyer because he is liable. I believe he's liable, criminally liable for what has happened with COVID-19. That's why I wrote the Fauci Act and, and introduced it back in early April. Fire Fauci because he... This hang, hang, on, hang, on like hang, hang, hang on for a second. Hang on for a second. Hang on for a second. You're saying fire Fauci is one thing. Walk, back up. What do you mean criminally liable? That's where you're into a whole different category. Why do you say that about Dr. Tony Fauci? He's, he's the, uh, Biden promoted him to chief medical advisor to the president. He's lauded as St. Tony Fauci on TV every day. Why do you say mm-hmm. you're just not for firing him? You're for bringing criminal. You think he ought to face criminal charges? Well, my Fire Fauci Act Act asked for a full investigation because we've suspected all along that he is criminally liable. Here's why. If you go back, you can go back to 2012, you can go back to 2014, where Anthony Fauci was using American tax dollars and sending it to the Wuhan lab to fund this research that was creating viruses. Why is there any need to create a virus that can spread rapidly through a population, make people sick and kill them? That's a bioweapon. Okay, so here's one of the things that's so frustrating about Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? The, even the language she's using is wrong. They did not create a virus. They souped up a virus. Now, she believes that God wouldn't create a virus that would kill a bunch of people. She tweeted that, I believe, the other day. Um, and she clearly doesn't understand the Old Testament at all because that's a thing that's been done numerous times. But anyways, I digress. Um, it wasn't completely engineered. It's a small modification over a period of time, hyper-evolved. That's how the process would work. So the fact that she doesn't even have her shit straight when it comes to what likely happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology is a little bit silly. And that that's one of the reasons that it's so hard to take her seriously. I mean, there's... A numerous reasons why it's hard to take her seriously, but if I'm going to sit here and like rip on the way the the you know quote unquote left has handled things, I've got to also look at, at idiots on the right, and she really embodies um, that position. So we need to be very clear about what was the intent of COVID-19 and these viruses that they experiment with, like some sort of Dr. Frankenstein experiments, these are bioweapons. There's no other reason to create a virus that, that makes people sick, 
spreads so quick and kills people. There's no other intent, but it's a bioweapon. And then our American. You don't buy. Hold on. You don't. You, hang on. You don't buy. The, you don't buy the argument that say hey, the gain of function is all because we've got to take these viruses and we got to power them up to look for vaccines and to look for other solutions in case somehow they they, they come up with this. You don't buy. You don't buy the logic of that. Is that what you're saying? You both could be true. No, I don't buy it because I don't believe in evolution. I don't believe in in that type of so-called Jesus science. Fuck. I don't believe in evolution. I believe in God. And there's these viruses were not making people sick until they created them and made coronaviruses have been making people sick since fucking forever. The common cold is a coronavirus. Dude, the, like how can you be so outspoken and so overzealous with this whole situation and not even have the most simple understanding of what the fuck you're talking about. Like this is absolutely, this drives me insane because there's people out here like me and likely like you who want to question this stuff and want to get real answers and people like her, whether it's the second amendment or COVID or Trump or whatever it is, the election, she just makes everybody look dumber. She ends up being the, the representative that gets held up as like, this is what kind of person who's questioning COVID. Like, does she not have that level of self-awareness where she can understand that you just said you don't believe in evolution? Evolution literally happens within your lifetime. It happens all over the place. It is a very common thing to happen. Put different, the same species of a bird on two different islands and wait a hundred years. They'll be very different. That's not that weird. That's not that crazy. That makes sense. That's science. That's real science. That's a thing. Like this, this woman, dude, has caused more harm to the things that she seems to care about than I thought was ever possible. ...them and to weaponize these viruses to be able to attach to, to our cells and make us sick. This has caused so many people to die all over the world. This is a bioweapon. You can call it, people can call it whatever they can for research and to create... Um, you know, vaccinations, but there's no need for a vaccine if the virus doesn't make the human population sick to begin with. Again, just a fundamental misunderstanding of, of anything relevant to the topic. It's just so bad. So I think it's a, it's a very disturbing type of research. I think it, and I don't think our American tax dollars should ever be funding it. And so I have a problem with that from the beginning and I want an investigation into it. And then secondly, we know for, I mean, it's, it's very clear. It's very clear what happened that this, this virus came out of the Wuhan lab. It, it made those three scientists sick early on and then it spread. And Anthony Fauci is on record back in 2014. He's on video talking about saying, well, there's a, there's a particular case that, that perhaps these SARS viruses, this, these viruses could escape the wet markets and, and cause a pandemic. Well, what was the very reason they told us that COVID-19 spread in the first place? They, we were told, oh, it was a virus from a bat that escaped the wet market and has become a pandemic. All right, that's enough of that. We've heard, we've heard this whole thing over and over again, but I, I really had to play that because of just how absurd it is. And again, how much damage it does for those of us who are really trying to get to the bottom of this with good faith. And one of the things she talks about is the funding. Well, Obama, Obama got rid of that funding, right? He said gain-of-function research, too dangerous, not doing it. But Trump's general incompetence allowed that to go right back on. Because he, he what did he do? Didn't he, like, get rid of, like, half of the pandemic's 
team <laughs> or the whole damn thing. Like, dude, he, and he still hasn't taken any responsibility for that, any at all. It's hard to respect somebody who can't take responsibility for their mistakes, and this is very much one of Trump's mistakes. And if Obama was doing the same thing, it's a mistake on his part too. But this is something that was happening in his government, under his watch, and that deserves some accountability. Now, let's move on to her talking about uh, this fire Fauci thing that she wants to do. Let's check it out. Thank you for coming, everyone. This is, this is an important issue that we need to talk. The American people have endured terrible things over the past year due to the shutdowns from COVID-19. And I'm very proud to sponsor the Fire Fauci Act, and I'm grateful to my colleagues here for co-sponsoring this bill because the American people deserve answers. The Fire Fauci Act will bring Dr. Fauci's salary down to zero and also will require the Senate to confirm someone to fill his position. You see, Dr. Fauci was not elected by the American people. He was not chosen to guide our economy. He was not chosen to rule over parents and their children's education. But yet Dr. Fauci very much controlled our lives for the past year. Dr. Fauci, there is a lot of information that needs to come out on him. And as you all have seen with the emails that came out, that he owes the American people a lot of answers, but he also owes the world a lot of answers. Mm -hmm. These are emails that are very important that you all need to make sure that you're sharing with the public because the public has suffered greatly. Businesses have closed, small businesses have suffered. People have truly been depressed. Health consequences, people have died alone in hospitals and nursing homes. Children's education has been delayed by a year. And then we even witness suicide numbers going up, not in just adults, but young people people in college, children in high school, children in middle school, and even younger. This isn't how our country was set up, and this is not how people should be governed. But yet it's Dr. Fauci, and through his advice that constantly changed, that is how things happened. You see, there's a lot of evidence, and answers need to be found, and answers need to be given, and the American people deserve the answers, and count accountability should be held for Dr. Fauci and all of those involved. And if American tax dollars went to the Wuhan lab and indeed funded this virus, which it's very clearly coming out that this is very much a man-made virus, a man-made virus in a lab that has sickened the world and caused people to die. You see, people are really tired of there never being anyone held accountable Never anyone being fired. And that's why it's time to fire Dr. Anthony Fauci and give answers to the American people who I mind you, this is, got, this is the government that should be serving them, not the other way around. Okay, so we've got that there. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with her is like, I can get behind some of that, right? I can get behind some of that, but it can't front come from the Jewish, Jewish space laser lady. Like, that's not the person who's going to lead anything and get any kind of consensus from the American people, much less Congress. Like, can you imagine the attack ads if someone were to side with her? And also, you can't take away somebody's salary without proof. 
Like, if an investigation needs to be done, like, there is a process here. Also, who had the power to fire Fauci not that long ago? Your daddy Trump did, and he didn't do it. Maybe he's a coward, which, yes, that's true also. Maybe he's an imbecile. Yeah, that's also true. But, like, when, when, when the situation, it's like, okay, so ever somebody needs to be held accountable. Well, he was the president when this whole thing broke out, you know, and, and Biden wouldn't have done a good job either. Don't, don't get me started on that. I'm not saying we had a, another good option laying around. But, like, there's accountability needs to be spread out across the people who made the decisions. And that's not just Fauci. Fauci's a piece of shit. He's a liar, for sure. But we got to be mindful of the fact that, like, the, the QAnon lady, who will always be the QAnon lady in Congress, always. You're not getting away from that. Okay, you're not getting away from those Facebook lives you used to do. She's not going to be the one to lead this or make anything happen. And, again, does, just like in the Second Amendment, does more harm than good, straightforward, that's the reality, and that's hard to hear, I guess. It seems pretty fucking clear to me. I don't know where else we can go with this, but that's what she's been doing. That's what she's been up to, and this is one of the reasons that they should not have taken her off the committees. The committees that she was on, everybody was crying about it, got her taken off the committees, and now she has all the free time in the world to do this shit. So that really worked out, Pelosi, fucking clown. Corporations are buying up houses and robbing families of the American dream. Here's what's going on. Investment groups like Blackstone are buying up houses and neighborhoods or entire housing developments in, in whole at 20 to 50% over asking price, um, outbidding real people. Real people that want to buy a house, maybe a first house, a starter home, and some kind of weird attempt to become America's landlord. So this is a story. This is a big story, but I also wanted to ex just expose a little bit of a, a Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro has been talking about this, um, and it's really interesting as someone who who has such a prominent audience and seems to. I mean, the thing about Ben is he's a robot, right? I look at Ben Shapiro. I actually value his commentary oftentimes because he is hyper analytical. Now, he's not a human being. That's not like a thing that he is or doing at all. He's not like doing human stuff. He never really has. I think he went to college and he was like 12. I don't know. He just is a weird, he's like a savant. And so he doesn't really understand like the human experience. Ben Shapiro it comes to talking about like Cardi B or music or pop culture in general, just does not understand what it's like to be a real human person. But his his breakdowns, especially when it comes to law, are pretty solid, and you can learn something from them. Uh, so anyways, when I saw his take on what's going on with Blackstone, buying up these houses, and really keeping people from generating wealth, right? Buying a house is a great way to hold wealth. If you can make that happen, if you can pull that off, get your 30-year mortgage, pay the house off, you know, give it to your kids, do whatever you need to do, that's a really important thing. Long-term renting is not a viable solution unless you want just like the freedom of not ever owning a house, which I totally understand too. Like they both have value, but when people are attempting to buy houses and they're getting outbid by someone like Blackstone, a large investment group, um, well, that can become problematic when they're buying up as much property as they possibly fucking can and just becoming the landlords. And they're not even good landlords at that anyways. It's not like the guy that owns a few homes and is like a good landlord. That's not at all. What Blackstone? Did I say BlackRock earlier? Blackstone. Um, what they were doing. So, anyways, let's just get into Ben Shapiro's breakdown of what's happening um, with this housing situation. You'll recall people went over to Wall Street and started yelling at Wall Street. And it was like, why are you yelling at Wall Street? You should be yelling at Congress. Congress is answerable to you. This all comes down to government policy. Centralized, bureaucratic money decision making is generally not a good idea with regard to this stuff. The United States is setting, is setting records for taxes, spending, and deficits through May. 
According to CNS News, federal taxes hit a record $2.6 trillion. Federal spending climbed to $4.6 trillion as October through May, resulting in a federal deficit of $2 trillion. That's just October through May, okay, which is just an astonishing increase in the federal deficit over the course of essentially half a year. That is wild stuff. Okay, now, the predictable result of all of this is not just inflation. It's also, as I say, economic stagnation because when you remove money from the private sector and when you blow out the debt and thus blow out the value of savings, what you end up doing is making it more difficult for businesses to do anything because, again, there are two problems. One is the inflation problem, and the second is what happens if the federal government, the Federal Reserve continues to pump money into the banks by issuing overnight rates that are zero or below zero, which encourages banks to lend. And what if businesses look around, they go, wait a second, there's no, there's no demand. Why are we borrowing? Why exactly should I leverage up when the demand is not keeping up with my leverage? Why would I borrow money I'm not going to be able to pay back? It doesn't make any sense. And so we are seeing both of these things come to pass. There's a reason that Joe Biden's budget, his $6 trillion garbage budget that he's pushing, there's a reason that it forecasts a 2% rate of growth for the next 10 years every year. And that is high. It will end up being below 2% if Joe Biden gets his way in terms of this economy. Simultaneously, you're seeing people get ticked off at corporations for doing what exactly it is that they do, which is they see a cheap debt instrument available to them, and they immediately start taking out loans and then buying up hard assets. Now, there are people getting angry at the corporations for this. You're getting angry at the wrong people. I may not like it either, but the point, that, the point is that unless you stop the Federal Reserve from pumping money into the system, corporations are going to take cheap loans and then they're going to use those loans to arbitrage. They're going to take the loans at 0% and then they're either going to lend it out at 3% or they're going to go buy hard assets they think are going to appreciate at 3% or more over the course of the next 50 years. This is leading to massive price inflation especially in real estate. So there's a big story that came out yesterday and a lot of people right, left, and center are really mad about it. And this is where populists go wrong. Not because they are wrong in being angry about things, but because very often they are, they are angry at the wrong people. Okay, it is not a corporation's fault if cheap loans are available. They are taking the cheap loans and then going and buying real estate. Any more than it would be their fault if cheap loans are available and they go and they take the cheap loans and then they buy stock. Okay, it is the fault. This all comes down to government policy. If you are willing to take up the risk of buying an asset at, an, at a higher price than the market would suggest, if you're willing to foot that risk, that's your problem, so long as you don't get bailed out. So there are two things that people who are seriously troubled by what's going on economically ought to oppose with all of their heart and might. Okay, one is the inflationary policy of the Federal Reserve, the cheap debt that continues to be pumped into the economy, the government spending that continues to promote unemployment and keep people at home, that is one, and two, no bailouts, no bailouts. If a big corporation like BlackRock decides to take out a bunch of money from a bank or they, they decide that they're going to sell their bonds to the Federal Reserve and they're going to get back all of this cheap money and then they take that cheap money and they invest it in real estate and then the real estate goes south, no bailouts. Okay, the moral hazard. Now that I can get on board with. Like that I can get on board with, right? Maybe I don't agree 100%, but it makes sense. Right, it's logical. Let's continue. Of TARP was just that. It created a massive moral hazard. And just like Occupy Wall Street was angry at the wrong people, they were over on, they shouldn't have been occupying Wall Street. They should have been occupying K Street. They should have been over there in Washington, D.C., yelling at Congress. You remember the Occupy Wall Street movement that cropped up in 2009, 2010 in the aftermath of the, of the great bubble bursting in the Great Recession. You'll recall people went over to Wall Street and started yelling at Wall Street. And it was like, why are you yelling at Wall Street? You should be yelling at Congress. 
It's Congress. Congress is answerable to you. Do you think yelling at BlackRock is going to make them stop pursuing fiscally smart decisions? It's not going to. The reason they're doing what they're doing is the incentive structure is all screwed up. Go yell at your congressperson. Go yell at the Federal Reserve. Go yell at Joe Biden. Those are the people you elected. Those are the people who are answerable to you, not the people who work at BlackRock. And yet people are misdirecting all of their energies. They're mad at corporations because, again, what populism does is it, it very often gets the diagnosis correct, but then the actual prescription is completely wrong. So the diagnosis is right, that you don't want corporations, giant corporations necessarily, coming in and buying up swaths of real estate and preventing first-time homeowners from being able to buy at market prices. You don't want them artificially driving up the price of real estate, but this is the point. It's not an artificial drive up of the price of real estate unless there's artificially cheap money being pushed into the system. Okay, so with this, this whole being angry at the wrong people thing, it's fucking trash, okay? Because this has to do with campaign finance, and it was your conservatives, Ben, who made sure that campaign finance was going to be completely skewed and give power to corporations like BlackRock or Blackstone, whatever the fuck it's called, BlackRock, right, to be able to do what they're doing. They can influence the government, and people are pissed about that. Do not straw man populists for not having the right source of the problem, okay? What, what populists oftentimes want is more democracy and more influence from the people, not the corporations, that you are so apologetic of, all right? Like, I don't understand why that doesn't compute in, in, in his robot mind. Like, what do you not see about pop? Like, you're going to attack populism now? Really? I mean, most of I mean, most people listening to this show lean populist, right? And I get that. And I have my own bias when it comes to that, that mindset or that way of thinking, right? More things like ranked choice voting, right? I think we should have universal mail out, mail in, or, um, you know, mailed ballots that you can turn back in in a red box type system with an ID. I like universal ballot mail outs and voter ID, like most fucking common sense people would do. Like that, that makes a lot of sense. So there's things about populism that are pro-democratic is what's going on with populism, right? But there's no sense in, in not being angry at a company that's taking advantage of a system. The reason it's set up that way is because we dealt with a fucking COVID crisis, a pandemic. That's the way the reason the Fed is doing what they're doing. Agree with it or not, that's why they're doing it, right? And maybe it is inflationary in the way it's happening. There's many people that are way smarter about money than Ben Shapiro who think that's not the case, right? Pamath Palihapitiya, who I've brought up numerous times on this show today, was talking about how the inflation thing just might not come to pass. And you have people like Peter Schiff, who has predicted nine out of the last two fucking recessions, who thrives in scaring the shit out of people, right? So I don't really trust that motherfucker either. So when you're looking at this, like we'll see what happens. It's possible. But what's definitely happened is that BlackRock has kept people from investing in their futures by outbidding them by 20 to 50%. On homes, they weren't buying homes that were, you know, undervalued. They were overpaying, unnaturally inflating the housing market, as if that's not going to go south, right? And he said, he said, well, no bailouts. Yeah, fucking right, no bailouts. Like as if that's going to happen. And one of the things that happened after Occupy Wall Street that's really interesting really fucking interesting is that all of a sudden Chase Bank and these investment firms got super woke. So I went over to their website here, BlackRock. All right. And I said, it went to the about us page. Let me just read this off to you. BlackRock in the USA. We've been operating in the United States, managing assets for us clients for more than 32 years. Our goal is simple. We want to help build, help more and more people experience financial well-being. 
huh, by having them rent from you as their fucking landlord when they could have afforded the house until you inflated the fucking housing market? That makes a lot of fucking sense, BlackRock. Let's continue. We're investors. We're technologists. We're team members. We're involved citizens. At BlackRock, we believe... we believe our uh, we're at our best when our employees connect with their pur- personal purpose and to their work and our firm's purpose. This is it, it, in our What's Your Why series. Employees share how they bring their passions to what they do. Our contributions: financial security, investment access, inclusive economics, sustainable outcomes. Okay, continue, continue. Inspiring and educating the next generation. Our partners, our partnership with Girls Who Code, a national nonprofit organization helping to equip young women with computing skills in both our New York and San Francisco offices furthers our commitment to growing a pipeline of diverse talent to the ability uh, in the ability to problem solve using technology, promoting a more inclusive economy. Like these fucking buzzwords don't mean a goddamn thing when your actions do not reflect that. A more inclusive economy? Buying up homes that could be bought by people that have, you know, a reasonable income who've been saving and keeping them from home ownership in their area where they live? That's promoting a, an inclusive economy, you fucking liars? Is this how we're gonna is this how we're gonna do this? And we can't be upset with them for being, I don't know, completely out of integrity with their messaging or their brand purpose. Like that's that's not a valid uh, a valid concern. And I would, I would venture to say that the people that would march and occupy Wall Street totally understand that it's Congress as well. And just because you're not on K Street and you're on Wall Street, that's not like it doesn't send a fucking message to the people who are making the legislation in the first place. So Ben Shapiro, you were way off on this one, my dude. Yeah, I get your like libertarian conservative economics. Totally makes sense, and I'm with some of that. But the way that you're talking about misplaced anger is fucking absurd. Absurd. Like just out, dude. Just, just if you BlackRock just did, does what they want to do, what they've always done, right? Leverage the system, work it in whatever way. Which you know that's what their investors want. Okay, but you can't also say that what they're doing is wrong and then fight for less regulation. Does does that not make sense? Is this does this not seem like problematic? Where a a healthy government would step in. And since they throw words like inclusivity and, and, and economic sustainability in their mission statement, now they're, they're, they're should be praised. So give me a fucking break, dude. And Ben Shapiro on this totally missed, totally missed the point. Totally missed what people are upset about because he doesn't understand being a human person. And that's where we're at. But this is happening. This is going to cause problems downstream. This is going to blow up in everybody's face. And of course the government will step in and take care of it for them as they always Fucking do. Doesn't matter if it's a conservative or a liberal or it doesn't matter. Whoever's in the White House doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, it's not fucking up to them. It's not up to them. They'll get their bailouts and everybody else will get fucked in the same way that we have been for decades. Oh, you guys are gonna love this. <laughs> oh, Charlie Kirk is back. He's been, I think he's been laying low for a while, but he's back and he gave this beautiful speech. Let's just jump right into it. We don't even need a, a warm up for this. We don't need any lube or foreplay. Let's just get right into it. Rules. You need to come up with what you aren't going to do. And it might be like, hey, I am going to, maybe it's, I'm not going to drink anymore. Or maybe it's like, I don't like this group of guys. They're a bad in- impact and influence on me. And I'm just going to cut them off. In, in, the, in the most bizarre, strange way, what I'm going to tell you today, it's what you don't do that actually is going to give you what you what actually is going to give you full true fulfillment and here's okay first off 
What he's trying to say there um, in a very inarticulate way is a very Jordan Peterson message. Life is defined by your sacrifices. What you'll choose to do and not do have a huge impact on your life. Now, I was a life coach, so I can like articulate things a little bit better than Charlie Kirk when it comes to like living a, an impactful life, which, you know, whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, life is defined by your sacrifices and what you choose to do and not do. And that's important. That's a, that's a really solid message. Let's, let's see where he goes with it. Why? Because we live in an abundant society. We live in a place where you could have literally weed delivered to your front door. It's like, what? And somehow, oh, that's liberty. No, that's actually slavery. <laughs> that's actually a, okay, a form of slavery for Media Matters. That's a form. It's a form of being. It's a form of being subservient to something that actually controls you. That's, that's not you being free. Are you kidding me? Being subservient to something that actually controls you. That's what weed is. It sounds more like you're talking about um, uh, ideological religions, maybe. Christianity, perhaps. Something that, that, that limits you and controls your behavior. Yeah, I think that's through shame and judgment and things like that and fear. Yeah, that's kind of what you, don't you, that's, but that's a thing. That's a thing that you do and like and want, right? Like more Christianity, more Christian values, which are restrictive and, and controlling. Um, but no, that's not, that's not a problem. But weed is controlling you. Weed of all things. Let's continue. No, that's you actually not being able to have the full agency and choices, because then you're going to be, you're, that chemical's actually going to be free, not you. That chemical's then going to inflict inflict the, the rules. The chemical's going to be, the chemical's going to be free. THC has freedom, but it suppresses you. I'm going to go smoke a bowl right after I get done with this podcast and edit it. I will be editing a podcast on editing software and releasing it while high. Charlie Kirk, I'm not controlled by marijuana. No one really is. Now, people have addictive issues to all kinds of things, but you can't sit here and say that weed causes that big of a No one's ever overdosed on weed ever, right? He's like, well, kids are getting a hold of, of candies. Yeah, that, that's a problem, right? There was some kid that ate like 100 milligrams of, of, of THC the other day. Uh, somebody shared a story because it was in like a, the, the wrapping should have been more explicit. I was on board with that. I'm like, dude, that's a lot of THC. That kid's going to have a different outlook on life now. But at the end of the day, that kid's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. The kid was going to be high for a day. It's going to be kind of weird, just like being sick. I've been, I've eaten too many edibles before. It's not a fun experience, but the kid's going to be fine. Now, you couldn't say the same thing if the kid got into a bottle of Jack Daniels and drank all of that. That could kill a kid, right? And now let's talk about other substances that, that are, you know, you could have delivered to your door. Uh, donuts, big sodas, all kinds of things. Do you think that weed causes as much damage as sugar, sugar kills more people than every illicit drug. Every one of them. Maybe pharmaceuticals are close, but I don't even think that's close. Sugar kills more people than any illicit drug. And he has an issue with marijuana controlling you. One that does not have a chemical addictive, uh, a chemically addictive um, route in your mind. That's not how it works. You can be habitually addicted to a marijuana. That's very much a thing. You can be habitually addicted to anything. Sex, porn, gambling, those kind of things. But it's not a chemical addiction. That's a different thing where you would be like to heroin or opiates or cocaine. Fundamentally, absolutely ridiculous. And if this is where, this is this guy is supposed to be like the future of the conservative party. This is where they're going. We're having weed delivered to your door so you don't have to go to a dispensary is a problem. Like, what is that? And he's kind of fancies himself a libertarian. What? 
This is so. This is miles away from the even moderate libertarianism. Like this is out of control. If there's anything like weed is better for you than drinking, hands down, hands down. If you want to have a glass of wine at the end of the night and, and, and take the edge off, that's great. If you want to smoke a joint at the end of the night and take the edge off, get you some better sleep, whatever that is for you. You want to get a little high instead of drinking. That's something I did a lot in college. Just smoke weed instead of drink. I was better for it. I wouldn't change that for anything. But this is somebody who's so naive when it comes to any kind of thing that, that you know, Sky God may have not liked, <laughs> right? Like giving away your agency. I don't think Charlie Kirk has ever been high in his entire life. And you can't knock it till you try it, my dude. Charlie Kirk. You know what we need to do in the, in the video of this? Just tag him a bunch of times. Just a bunch of times. Everybody do it. We'll just tag him in here. And maybe he'll have a, have a better understanding. Maybe, Charlie, if you ever want to, if you're ever in Colorado, I'll come meet you. And we can just smoke a joint, dude. Let's just do it. We'll smoke it. You can come over to my house. We can do a podcast together. We can do whatever. I mean, you, you know, maybe you don't smoke a joint. I smoke a joint just so you know, like, hey, it's fine. <laughs> We're cool. We're good. That's, that's, you know what? That's where this should go. Charlie, let's smoke a joint. Let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's find some common ground. Let's fire the mics up. We'll do it in the new studio. Maybe shoot our bows. Maybe shoot some guns. We'll just have a good time. I'll just pretend to be conservative for you. It'll be fun. We'll find some common ground. We really will. But the non-negotiable is you getting a little bit high. Just a little high. Just a little high. I'd love to see it. And I think you would too. And we're going to wrap up the state of things with something that I just found so much joy in. As I, as promised, this show is going long, and I don't mind it. I don't mind it. If Alex Jones can do it for several hours, then so can I. Fuck him. Anyways, here we go. We got Jon Stewart on Stephen Colbert's show. Now, if you were a Jon Stewart fan back in the day when he was on uh, The Daily Show on Comedy Central, then he was replaced by Stephen Colbert. Like, that was the golden days of satirical news. Like, that was really, they did a great job. And I really, I really love that show. Of course, it's left-leaning. Of course, it is. But who cares? It was a really well-written show. Probably one of the last good things to come out of Comedy Central, especially when Jon Stewart was on it. So I've always been a Jon Stewart fan. Um, I, mean, I don't agree with him on every policy, but what he did for like 9-11 survivors and, and that kind of stuff just really shows up. And that's something we don't even see from our politicians. So you've got to respect him for that. And this, this uh, interview on The Colbert Show is absolutely incredible. So let's check this out. When, when I interviewed you for it, you were talking about how little progress we've made in science in combating pandemics, because in 1918, mm -hmm. the advice was wear a mask, wash your hands. That's right. And 100 years later, 103 years later, wear a mask, wash your hands. It was soul crushing to find that. I was really hoping that like in 1918, they'd be like, drink a tincture of mercury and butterfly juice. <laughs> like, you were, I was hoping it'd be like some bizarre thing. And I'm like, we've come a long way, baby. It's the exact same. How do you feel about the science now? Well, so I will say this. <laughs> I, I, and I honestly mean this. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has, in many ways, helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. And that's kind of. Hold on a second. No, 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 no,
I'll, it's beautiful. I'll, 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 I'll do that to you. I'll do that to you. I'm so what, 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 what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so this was, perhaps this, this, there was a chance that this was created in a lab? There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but, I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease <laughs> is the same name as the lab. Oh. That's just that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> It's like, so no, good. I, this shit is so like you, I, I love that this is happening with him and Bill Maher. Like I love that this is happening because it makes the most fucking sense in the entire world. Like why is this not like it's it's this is funny, but it's funny because it's true. Like let's 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 just keep going. This is so good. I'm so happy about this. You, you the wait, name wait, of your lap. If you look at the name, look at the name. Can I? Let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh. I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait, okay, wait, okay. wait a second. Wait a what second. about this? What about wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. And the crowd goes wild, right? This is where people are. This is where people are. This says something. This is, this is like, really, this is funny and fun. And I, I love this, but like, just listen to the audience. Like this is where people are in this process right now. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could be. That, that could By be. By the way, Let me... I gave them all tuberculosis. Just <laughs> That could, that could very well be, and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and Annie Asher said, like, it should definitely be investigated. Don't stop with the logic and people and things. The no, name I'm... of the disease. Wait a second. Wait a second. The building. Wait a second. But I, I, it could be possible. You could be right. It could be possible that they have the lab in Wuhan to study the novel coronavirus diseases because. In Wuhan, there are a lot of novel coronavirus diseases because of the bat population sure, no, there. I understand. It's, it's like the same. It's like, a local a specialty, and it's the only place to find bats. You won't find bats Nobody's anywhere like else. Saying oh why. wait, Austin, Texas has thousands of them that fly out of a cave every night, every night at dusk. It's actually underneath a bridge, but okay. Is there a, a coronavirus in Austin? Coronavirus? No, it doesn't seem to be an Austin coronavirus. <laughs> The only coronavirus we have is in Wuhan, yes. where they have a lab called, what's the lab called again, Stephen? The Wuhan Novel Coronavirus Lab. I believe that's uh -huh. the case. And now, how long have you worked for Senator Ron Johnson? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about Ron Johnson. This is not a conspiracy. 
Here's hey, the thing hey, about science. You could be right. Here's, you could be right. But this is the problem with science. Science is incredible. But they don't know when to stop, and nobody in the room with those cats ever goes, yeah, I don't know if we should do that. Like, they're... God damn, this is so good. Like, this is so good. Uh, a few I, years back, I agree with you. If science can do it, they will do it. They will do it. They're like, oh, curiosity killed the cat. Oh, okay, well, let's kill 10,000 cats to find out why. And you're like, that's what science does. They, they push things. They, they do the thing like, okay, listen to this. So a few years back... You know we stopped filming a lot. I understand time that. <laughs> can I tell you something? This is, this is what happens. I've been... All right. If you're not watching, doesn't tell you much more. But that's where people are right now, and I think that's huge. Like this is this is funny, and it's 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 becoming a joke because it's like obviously, obviously. Let's be real. John Stewart is on Colbert's show, and somehow got clearance to say these things, or maybe he just did it himself because he's John Stewart, and that's the kind of guy he is, which is what I respect about the guy. Like that's that's cool, and that's a, that's a win. That's more of a win than Marjorie Taylor Greene or any other crazy Steve Bannon and these other crazy fucking kooks. It's more of a win than any of that because you have somebody who's a staple on the left pointing out the ridiculousness of this whole process and this whole thing and calling science out because science doesn't know where to stop. They don't know where to stop. right? They probably should have stopped across the board pre-atomic bomb, but they didn't. That's where we're at. Right? Maybe they should take a nuclear uh, reactors a little bit more seriously. We wouldn't have Chernobyl, right? Like this is this is this is the story of science. It's the downside. It's the shadow side of science. There's a shadow side to everything. Of course, the the, the benefits outweigh the costs. Of course, but that doesn't mean that the costs don't exist. That the downfalls don't exist. That the shadow of the whole situation doesn't exist. And to see something like this, and 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 hear the crowd react, and just know like. Uh, I feel a little vindicated and a little less crazy for thinking this thing came from a lab like early early in the days, right? It's like well, that's, it makes the most sense, and the Hershey analogy is absolutely spot on. So, praise be to John Stewart. Well done. I know I'm gonna have a lot of people in the comments being like, "Oh, finally the left, the liberals are getting it." Like, listen, don't, don't, just take the win, take the W, and move the fuck on because this is beautiful. And now it's time. For that part of the show where I give you something to think about. Do it. Close this bad. This, this longest show we've done. The longest show in politically homeless history is about to get wrapped up. And what I want to talk about today, and something to think about, is certainty. Certainty. I heard somebody say the other day. I don't remember who it was. Somewhere say that they are allergic to certainty. And that resonated with me so hard. It resonated so deep and so strong because certainty is a fucking lie. Okay, and there's something really powerful about this, and I think that the best analogy I can kind of come up with is flat earth, right? Clearly absurd, right? 
But if you go down the rabbit hole, especially back when it was kind of a new phenomenon, you're like, oh, what the hell is all this flat? Like flat Earth was a, was a thing that people were talking about a lot a few years ago. It's like go down the rabbit hole on flat earther videos on YouTube, right? Just down the rabbit hole on YouTube. Back then, the algorithm would set it up where you could like really go for it. Like they wouldn't interrupt it with some like debunking videos. It was like, no, no friction, all, all gas, no brakes, right down the rabbit hole. And that's how it was. And so I did that, of course, in typical Connor fashion. And my takeaway from that was really interesting. It's, I didn't take away that the, the earth is flat, right? My thought was like, well, if it's flat, what is it? Doesn't change my life any? Like, what does it matter? But it seems to not be. Um, but my my thought, my takeaway from that was, it, here's this thing, right? This this idea, right? That the Earth is round. This supposed fact, right? And this fucking video, this, this these these videos, these things made me, gave me a brief moment, a brief like just a fraction of a moment, where I questioned whether the earth was round or not. And you can't, I know some of you out there like saying, oh, this guy's a fucking asshole. Like that's dumb. You're an idiot. Watch 20 videos on it and then be like, when you're high and be like, oh, maybe it is. I don't know. Like that, there was something in that where I came back to my original conclusion, but I came back to it having actually criticized it. Right? This is what happened with me in Christianity. People have asked me a lot about this because I kind of ripped on Christians the other day is that I went through my uncertainty period and got outside of my Jesus is the son of God, the Bible is, you know, divinely inspired and all this other bullshit, right? I went down that rabbit hole of uncertainty on something I had previously been incredibly certain of, that I had faith in, and I questioned that. And what happened when it comes to Christianity with me is much different than what happened with Flat Earth, is that I didn't come back to it because it didn't hold up to the level of integrity that I was looking for in a belief system. And the things just didn't line up. So much, so many, much of the information I was getting that, I, that had been conveniently overlooked in my upbringing and my early education about Christianity that I felt was in bad faith and out of integrity with the belief system that I, kind of, that I wanted to aspire to be involved in. That's why I went a more Buddhist route, which actually resonated with me in a, in a much more profound way. But my takeaways from both of these experiences, and, and, and I will say the Christianity one is a little bit more profound than, than the flat earth uh, one for me, was that certainty at a certain point is more problematic than it is beneficial. So when you look at the things in your life, right, and this is just a fun practice when you're driving or alone or, or out in the world doing your thing and just have some time to think, run through your mind and think, what am I most certain of? And then do everything you can to strengthen the argu argument against what you are most certain of in your own mind. With that approach, right? And if you're a Christian, for example, listen to The End of Faith by Sam Harris. And really let it sink in. Like, give it a chance. Give it a chance. Like, things like that. If you believe that, you know, Republicans are good and Democrats are bad or vice versa... Here's someone out on the other side. With anything that you believe, right, understand that it's just a belief. Just because you believe it doesn't make it a fact, and just because you're 100% certain does not make it true. And it's a powerful way to live life. It, it, it offers flexibility. It offer, offers openness to experience and new experiences. 
which can be very profound and very powerful and also give you a more well-rounded approach on how to empathize and connect with other people. And when you can really build the strength to question the things you're most certain of in life, you'll learn how to connect and converse with people that are different than you. And that might be one of the most fulfilling things that a human being can do in their lifetime. Thanks, everybody, for showing up for the show and hanging out this whole time. You make it to the end. I'm proud of you. We did it. Long show. Make sure to go find us on YouTube, Politically Homeless. Find me on Instagram at Connor Wanders. Join the fucking Patreon. We're doing it. The only political commentary show that will make jokes about eating ass. That's our new tagline. Keep your head on straight. I love you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.